I have, I have a lot tonight. I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to get in a big hurry. I have more than I'm going to get through tonight. So I'm already probably ready for the next two weeks. We're going to pick up in, uh, we're going to pick up in verse 18, chapter one, verse 18. Um, that's, that's where we left off. I think that's where we left off, isn't it, Patrick? You, you end at 17 or do you end at 18? It doesn't matter. I'm, that's where I'm picking up anyway. So we're going we're gonna to retread some of it. That's where I'm, I don't know why I'm asking. But I'm actually going to back up to verse 13. We're going to begin right there. I'm going to read a little bit, and then we'll, talk, we'll, we'll just work through this and talk about uh, this here in the last part of, of chapter 1. So verse 13, And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as, is, as it is. Uh, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And uh, he had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. We, we see here where, where John says, you know, there's no doubt who this is. There's, you read the description here, um, how many of you think, boy, it'd be great to meet the Lord face to face like that? We, we, we think that flippantly sometimes. No, you know, I, I hear people say, oh, I can't wait to, you know, when we get to heaven or this, you know, I'm going to dance that, that Mercy Me song. I have no problem with Mercy Me. But that song, are we going to dance before you, Jesus? Or No, 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 folks. We're going to be on our faces. I mean, the Lord, it'll take the Lord giving us the strength to get off our face because when we come in His presence, we come in the presence, this description, read it in color. Just read that in color. Imagine that. Think that through. And think of, of, of seeing the resurrected, glorified Christ. What a description we have right there. And so there's no thinking that this is a man. Number one, John would not have fallen at the feet of a man. He never would have done that. He was overwhelmed with the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ right here. And verse 17 continues, But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Death could not hold him. Amen. And then uh, uh, forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. He has defeated death. He has defeated Hell, he has defeated the grave. Amen. I mean, that ought to that ought to fire you up tonight. You know, we don't have to fear the grave. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear hell. If you have a relationship with Christ, now I'm going to tell you, if you don't, you better fear it. And and if you're, and let me just say this: if you're lost tonight and God speaks to your heart, you come down here and interrupt me. We'll deal with it right now. That that's it's that serious. You are a heartbeat from hell if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's a heartbeat, folks. We're not promised next week. I'll deal with that later. I'll take care of it later on. I got things I want to deal with. It ain't on your time schedule. It's on the Lord's. And if the Lord, if you don't know Him as your Savior, get to Him as quick as you can. You know, I don't know how to get to Him. Then get to somebody who can get you to Him. Okay? Get you to get somebody who can share the Word of God with you. We want to take care of that tonight before you leave here. Um, he has the keys. We as believers, we don't have to worry about death, hell, sin, 
or the grave. Those are defeated. Verse 19 then, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. So the things which you have seen. I mean, that's just what we've read right through verse, verse 1 there. John, he has shared that. He is writing these things which he has seen. He's recording this face-to-face vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's recording that. Then the things which are, and that comes into verse 2 and 3, where the, the, the letters to the seven churches, the actual churches that existed in that day, he's telling him to write, uh, he's, that, that's what he's talking about, is to write the, the things that are. And he's going to write in those letters. It's a, it's, we'll deal with that, but he's writing to those churches and he's telling them, look, here's, here's your situation right now. This is where you're at. This is, this is what you're doing right. This is what you're doing wrong. This is what you need to do. Uh, so the, those are the things which are, and the things which are to take place, which that, that's the things that he's going to show them that will certainly take place in the future. And I think I shared with you prophecy. I, I've never, I've never, I'm, somebody's surely said this, but I've read, I didn't read this, but this is kind of the way I think of when I think of prophecy. It's future history. Because it's as, it's as real, it's, it's going to happen. The prophecy God's revealed, it is going to happen as sure as Abraham Lincoln lived on this earth. He, it's going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. For it to be recorded and written, it's going to happen. And it's going to happen just like it was said. Um, but these are the things to which are to take place. So that's what he's telling John to write. And then we get to chapter uh, to verse 20. And, and uh, I'm, I'm going to say this again. I don't know if I mentioned it. I think I mentioned it Wednesday night. Patrick did a great job last week, amen? He did a great job. And uh, I really appreciate him doing that. In fact, I invited him to do it again tonight. But he said, man, I can't. I, I, I got a lot. To, I did. I actually did because I got some things going on. I thought it would be a good week. He could come back and hit that behind it. So since he didn't, then I'm going to come back and correct some of the things that he's... That he's... <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, I got him on that earlier this week. So verse 20. So verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars. Now... Sometimes we read things and there's mysteries and, and, and we go, all right, I don't know what that means. The Lord here, he tells us and we can take his, we, we got to read what he says and listen to what the Lord says. Verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. He says, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. And Patrick did a great job of explaining that. And, and, and he shared his, his view is that those are the pastors. I'm not going to go either way. I'm not, I don't have a... I told Patrick earlier this week, I'm going to refute a little bit of what you said based on what some other people say. But I don't, I don't take a stand one way or the other there. I can see either way. And as I shared with Patrick, so are these angels angelic beings, or are they the pastors in the churches? And I said, as far as I can tell, as I read that, I it, it, say it's one versus the other. How does it change the passage? How does it change the meaning? How does it change the application for us? So it's one of those things that I don't know. I'm not going to die on the sword either way of this. So uh, there are those, though, there are some that believe very much that it was pastors, and there are others that believe very much these are angelic beings that he's talking about. These stars are angelic beings. Now, that makes sense. There are angelic beings that were messengers. That's the word there for that angel is angels or, or messengers. 
So you can have a messenger that is a pastor who would stand and proclaim the word of God, a messenger of the word. But you can also have messengers that we've seen all through scriptures that were angelic beings who went and delivered messages from God to people on earth. And, and so you can take that way. So Jesus explains to John the mystery of the seven stars and seven golden lampstands, saying that the stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Um, and there are those who say these are angelic beings that represent each church. Um, and one guy in particular I read, he said, I do not think the reference to the angels of the seven churches is a reference to the senior pastor of each individual church, with angel meaning something more like messenger for several reasons. He's the reasons, one of the commentaries I read, what he was sharing. He said, first, pastors are not called angels elsewhere in Revelation or the New Testament. It's a good, strong argument. Um, second one, the book of Revelation is full of heavenly beings called angels, which makes it likely that the angels are also heavenly beings. Um, makes sense. Third thing, John distinguishes between heavenly beings and, and human beings elsewhere in Revelation. So if these were human beings, it, it would probably be more clearly stated that human pastors are in view. So there's a, there's a contrary view. That's the angelic view. These are the reasons why they believe that. There are others that believe the other way. I don't, I don't, but I'd say this. You also look at it in the way it's written. If they are angelic beings, it almost sounds like they're being chastised in this. It almost sounds like they're being corrected in this as well. And I don't think that would be the case with an angelic being. There would be a messenger to deliver that message. So... I, I, I probably spent more time already on that than I need to. So we'll, we'll move on. Um, that Jesus holds the seven stars in his right hand, and that's more significant than whether the stars are pastors or whether they're angelic beings. Uh, that Jesus holds the seven stars in his right hand means that he is in control of the churches and that he is among the lampstands. It means that he is present with the churches. His spirit is there in those churches. He is present. Now, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's lampstands. It's really not candles. It's not a candlestick. It's really the, the lampstand itself because it does not give off light. A lampstand would hold a lamp. The lamp would give off the light. But the light is not the church itself. The light is Christ. He is the, he is the source of light. So we're talking about the lampstands, and he comes in the presence of those churches. He is in the presence. So we have the incom, incom, uh, incomparable glory of the risen Christ that motivates John's audience to heed what John has been commissioned to write. You, you look at what he writes there in, verse, in, 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 the, in chapter 1 as he's describing Christ that he's come face to face with. It's not in, unintentional. This is not, this is very intentional. The Holy Spirit, everything he does is very intentional. So in chapter one, we get a view. We see Christ. Now, as these letters are read, imagine you're having this letter read that John writes you in your church. You're reading that. And the first thing in there, that first chapter, we see Christ. We see the resurrected Christ, the glorified Christ. He's described. That is a motivator for those believers that are going to be reading these letters. So the matchless splendor of the King of Kings attracts the attention and compels the obedience of the churches that John addresses. That's the hope, that as they read that, they, they, are, they understand, they grasp the reality of Christ, who John has seen, and that this letter is from, is from Christ, is from him to them. The most significant feature of this passage is the overwhelming glory of Jesus. 
mean, when you start there in chapter 1, that, I mean, that, that's, that's the most overwhelming thing, the most compelling thing of all of this is the glory of Jesus Christ that we see there. So the awe-inspiring description of the resurrected Christ, the King Messiah, it assures John's, John, John's audience, which includes us today, when we think of that, that the audience wasn't just the churches of that day. It's every church throughout the, the, the church age. And it's for us today when we look at them, we think of the glorified Christ, we see that. So it includes us that Jesus is to be worshipped and obeyed because he has a surpassing worth and power. His authority is such as the one who holds the keys of death and, and Hades that he controls the earthly and the eternal destiny of every man, woman, and child. He holds the keys. He holds the keys of death and of Hades. He holds those keys. He's in control. And so your response to Jesus as he is revealed in this passage determines whether you will rule with him or you will be slain by the sword that comes from his mouth. We have to respond, folks, to, to the revealed Christ in our life. We have to. And how you respond to Jesus, that, that determines... You know, it, when we get to, when we, look, when we die, the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters. Brent, does it matter how much is in somebody's retirement account when they die? Nope, they ain't taking it with them. It doesn't matter. None of it matters. The only thing that matters once we die is what do we do with Jesus in this life? Because it's too late. At that point, it's too late. The, when you die, it's done. It is sealed. What you did in this life has sealed what's coming in the next. I encourage you again, if you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, get to Jesus. He's risen. He's indestructible. He's unconquerable. He is Lord. Get to Jesus. Verse 19. So again, continuing here with the verse 19. So the things which are, he says here, the things which are. So in other words, Christ selected seven churches out of many in Asia Minor in order to get across his specific message. Now certainly there were sins in, in the other churches, but the matters discussed in these seven church, churches covered all possible circumstances. When you read through that, when, you, when we read through, and we're going to work through either the churches, we'll look at the problems they have, we're going we're to go through those in detail, and what we're going to see is the problems they have, the problems each church has, we, we, they could find them today. They were representative of every church that existed then. You can move through history. They were representative of churches all through history. And you're going to look today. We're going to see in all of those churches as we read through them, we're going to find those characteristics in churches today. In fact, we can probably find most of them in our church today. It's because we're, we're fallen people. Christ selected these seven churches to illustrate the spiritual conditions possible in the churches, all churches, all ages, until he returns. That's what he's revealing. So now some Bible scholars, and we've, we shared this uh, two weeks ago, that some Bible, Bible scholars believe that these uh, churches also illustrate the prophetic history of the church from apostolic times until the end of the age. So the order of that would be, so the first church there, Ephesus, it was the church of apostolic times starting uh, starting to lose its first love for Christ. Second church, Smyrna, was the persecuted church of the first, uh, the first centuries. It's like 100 to 300. Pergamos was the church joined to Rome and the state church. Thyatira represented the, the, the dominance of Roman Catholicism. Sardis symbolized the Reformation church. 
Philadelphia, meaning brotherly love, is the missionary church of the last days. And then Laodicea was the lukewarm apostate church of the last days. And, and so um, we have to note that all of the conditions, again, all the conditions named were present in the churches at one time. At that time, everything that was mentioned in these letters was present in churches in that time. So these are representative of churches at that time. They're representative of churches all through the age, and, uh, and they're present in our churches today. Furthermore, if this sequence is a prophetic history of the church, then Jesus could not return for his people until the era of the uh, Laodicean church. And, and this would make his imminent return impossible. And what we've seen, Paul believed that the Lord's return was imminent. From the time he went away, the angels didn't say, hey, at the end of seven church ages, the Lord's going to come back. You'll be looking for that. No, they said, why are you standing here looking? He's going to come back just like he went. The Lord's return has been imminent. They have known, they have, all through the ages, people have looked. He could come back at any time. Now, some other things have been revealed to us that we understand now that they would not have understood then. But to put it on that type of a timeline, if that's the prophetic history of the church. And that says until we get, that would say that the early church would have realized, hey, well, you know, here we are, we're in the second century, and um, you know what? The Lord's return can't be imminent because he's not coming back, to, he won't come back till the end of the church age after Laodicea. So while the seven churches may illustrate the general development of the church through the ages, that was not the main purpose of these seven letters. That's, like I said, and even talked about this two weeks ago. There are people that believe very much that it was prophetic. I'm not arguing with anybody, okay? I'm going to teach as much as I can different views of these things, and I'll tell you where I stand. I don't tend to believe that it's prophetic. I believe that it was very much about those local churches at that time, those seven, and dealing with that, they were representative of the church as a whole, and they're representative of every church age that we go through. Every they, there's, and As we read it today, we can read those churches, and I can be convicted out of three, four of them at a time. That's me. That's us. We need to look at that. Okay, so chapter 2. Kind of as we begin chapter 2, uh, still kind of an overview right here. So there's, there's a word that we're going to see a lot here in chapter 2, and it's the word overcomers. And so note that a special word is spoken to the overcomers in each church. Chapter 2, verse 7, 11, 17, and 26. And then in chapter 3, verses 5, 12, and 21. All of those verses there speak of these overcomers. And these overcomers, they're the true believers in each of these churches. Now, they're not, these aren't super Christians in that local church. They're the super Christians. They're the overcomers in there. No, these are the true believers. So we don't assume that every member in every local church in every period of history is a true born-again child of God. We can't assume that today in the best of churches. Amen? Amen? I mean, we're, we're a mess, folks. If we think for a second just because somebody's in a church building or even a church member or even the pastor of a church that they're, that they're saved. Now, we would hope that... A, that a, but listen, there are men in pulpits in America today that are lost as a ball in high grass. They're lost as a golf ball on a Lynx course. Anybody that plays golf knows what I'm talking about. Amen. So we can't, we can't assume that. So they're not, when we talk about these overcomers, it's, it's, this is believers. So 
Those who truly belong to Christ are overcomers. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So very clearly we see who the overcomers are. We know that from Scripture. Scripture teaches us on Scripture here. And these overcomers are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So in every period of history, there have been true saints in the professing church, often called the invisible church. And then then Christ speaks this special word of encouragement to them, these overcomers, these believers, these true believers in the church. There is a word of encouragement for them. There's a word of encouragement for us. And certainly we may, we may apply these words to ourselves today. So um, overcomers. Then there's some connections that we want to look at. We're talking about Satan's connections with four churches in particular. And these are, we see where he calls the persecution in Smyrna in chapter 2, verse 9. We see that he has his throne or his seat at Pergamos in chapter 2, verse 13. He teaches his deep doctrines at Thyatira in, in chapter 2, verse 24, and he urges his, his synagogue now of false Christians to oppose the soul-winning efforts there at Philadelphia, his synagogue. And so we're going to look more at that, and we're going to see that, that, the connections that Satan has to these churches. And then Christ points out several dangers in these churches, and there's four or five things here that we want to look at. Um, the Nicolaitans. Okay, chapter 2, verse 6 and verse 15, the name Nicholas means conquer the people and suggest a separation of clergy and laity in the churches. Uh, there's a lot of speculation on who the Nicolaitans were, what the Nicolaitans taught, but this sin began as deeds in Ephesus. So when we go back and you read in Ephesus, and we see this in verse 6, we see some things that were coming in, but they, uh, they, they began as deeds here in Ephesus, but became doctrines in Pergamos. In Pergamos, it was doctrines. It was what was going on. And so the deceivers, they come in, they introduce false activities into the church, and before long, these activities are accepted and encouraged. And, and this is some of the things that were going on in those churches in those days. Folks, we, you don't have to look around. We see that going on in our churches today. Um, I'm, a, I'm, abs- I'm not even amazed. I'm appalled. I'm appalled at the churches and how quickly churches that I thought were solid churches are capitulating to the ways of the world, the whole woke agenda, the whole homosexual agenda, the whole transgender agenda. All of that is being brought in and embraced in the local church. Churches that I would not have guessed in a million years would would be, be compromising to that, and yet they are. Love, eh, I'm going to get on a side note. The whole love lie. But, but we see the agenda of this world is to redefine words, right? So they've redefined love now is you, you, you love. You just love whoever you want, however you want, whenever you want, wherever you want. That's love. And love wins. And it's, it's, it's the capitalizing off people's emotions. And a lot of this happened back with the Pulse nightclub. And when that happened, and that's when that love wins thing took, took hold. Tragic. But I'm going to tell you, and anybody that's listening, I'm going to tell you, Christians don't hate homosexuals. 
We don't hate transgenders. We love you. We love you enough to tell you the truth of what God says about that sin. And so I'm looking at the camera, and I'm telling you that we don't, we, we're not your enemy. Those who, people who lie to you, people who tell you that this is okay, and God will just accept you that way. And you, you, you know, you just live like hell, you live like you want to, and God will bless that. That's a lie out of the pit of hell. And that is not love. So, again, it's a redefining of words. We love, 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 love. But they've redefined what love is. You don't love anybody. Oh, I know they're riding on the wrong, they're riding the wrong way down the interstate, but I don't want to upset them. Just let them think it's okay. We love you. God bless you. We'll pray for you. Pow. They're going to they're gonna get killed. Gonna, you know, so... It, 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 but, you know, when, when that's not what you want to believe, love sounds a lot like hate when it's not being what you want to hear. Okay? And that's where, that's where we're at. So this, this teaching that comes into the church, and it, it's... It, you know, it comes in, they sneak it in, and it may be somebody that, man, they build some, they, people respect them or whatever, and they begin to teach and to sow the lies. And then those things begin to be accepted. Folks, we're not, we're not going to cave to the culture. We're not going to cave to the culture. And I'm thankful for uh, John Egger, and I'm thankful for Raymond Harrison, I'm thankful for our elder council, and I'm thankful for godly leaders in our church. But the, the, these, the, we've talked even this morning. We met early this morning, and we're talking and praying through. And folks, we're not gonna. They'll drag me out of here if I if I go crazy. Y'all, y'all drag me out. Drag me out. If I if I go the wrong way, we're not we're not we're not going that way. We're going to hold true to Scripture. We're going to teach the Word of God. We're going to hold true to the Scripture. So another, um, another uh, dangers, dangers in the church that Christ pointed out, B, was uh, Satan's synagogue. So this refers probably to assemblies of people who claim to be believers but are really children of the devil. And, and John 8, 44 says this, says, You are of your father, the devil, and the di- desires of your father are... Uh, you want uh, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So the, the, there is there is Satan's synagogue mentioned in chapter two verse nine and chapter three verse nine. And so the word synagogue simply means to bring together. So it it, it it's an assembly of religious people. Um, it's this assembly of not believers, but Satan's got a church. Do y'all know that? He's got a church. And it's not just the satanic church that we hear about out there, but it, it's, it's, it's those who would, who, would, who would fake their Christianity. They're, they're, do not think. Folks, the days that we're in, we have to be guarded. We're going to love people. We have to be guarded because there are going to be people walk through this door and, man, they're going to be nice. And we're going to say, well, you know, we really like them and they're really solid folks. They just seem really great. And they're going to say the right things and they're in here 
being led of Satan to try to sow discord, to try to break up what God's doing right here. And the more we stand firm, the more we're going to face that. There's also the, the danger of uh, the doctrine of Balaam. Now, you can go back and read Numbers chapters 22 through 25. Uh, Susan, have y'all been reading through Numbers? You and Dave? So that's where I've been, I'm in new and old, and I've been reading through that. I just finished up Numbers, but I was reading through that. And, and, and when, you, when you go back and you read about Balaam, you know, Balaam led Israel into sin by telling them that because they were God's covenant people, they could mix with the heathen and not be judged. You know, he, you can see where Balaam, and it doesn't, you, you've got to read it again and again, and then you look at it and you go, oh, okay. Because Balaam, God told, told Balaam, he said, you know, should I go talk to him? When, when Balak wanted him to come and, and to put a curse on the children of Israel coming in, the nation of Israel coming through. And, and, he, and he sought the Lord, and the Lord said no. And so he sent him away. I can't do anything that the Lord doesn't let me say. I'm, I, he was not a false prophet. He was, just a, he was a wicked prophet. I mean, he, he heard from God. God spoke to him. And he went back and he asked the Lord. They came again, and they offered Balaam all these riches. And so what do he do then? He goes back and he asks the Lord. Well, folks, if the Lord gives you an answer, do you think he's going to change his mind? If he says, no, don't go. So sometimes, I'm going to tell you, sometimes there's danger in that when we, the Lord will let you do what you want to do. He'll, he'll let you do what you want to do. I answered that already. I've provided that already. I've done for you already. And here you are. So it's obvious you don't want what I've offered you. You don't want the answer I've given you. You go ahead then. You do what you want. So he goes to, Balaam goes to God again and says, should I, should I go down? Should I do this? He said, sure, go with them. It was, it was a test. And he fails miserably. And, you know, he gets on his donkey. And you know, the story is when he goes and the angel stands in the way of the donkey. And the donkey's smarter than, than um, Balaam. And there's a whole lot of things that can be said right there. A lot of little jokes you can make about that. Um, but he could not curse them. God didn't, didn't allow him. He can't curse God's people who God has blessed. But he did go in there and he sowed bad doctrine. And, and this doctrine uh, is the idea that the church can be married to the world without judgment, and still serve God. That's the danger. And we have that danger in church today. In fact, there are some of you sitting in here tonight who, who've got this idea that I can live like I want to and I can still be a good Christian. I'm a good Christian. I'm, the Lord's pleased with all of my life. And yet you know there's sin in your life. You know there's things in your life you have not given to Him. And we want to live in both worlds. We want to have, we want to have two mailboxes. We want, we want the one that we get all the good stuff up in heaven, and we want down here where we get all the fun stuff. You know, sin's not sin's fun for only a season. Folks, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to encourage you. Be careful with that. Be careful with that. And, and we think, well, I've got liberty in this, or I've got liberty in that. And, and what we've done is we're justifying the way I want to live my life. But I think God's still going to bless me. And then I wonder why I'm struggling with this or that or this other thing in my life. You might be struggling with that because of the way you've refused to submit to Christ up to that point. And so now, man, I'm in a world of hurt. 
And I want God just to fix it. I just want him to take everything away and just fix it. I, Lord, it's, the, it's the, the, the drunk's prayer, right? Lord, if you get me through this, I'll never do it again. You know, it's that. I'm wondering if I should tell a story. There's stories I just should not tell. I know this is on the, this everywhere. All right, so when I was in high school, I can't resist. So when I was in high school, I had some buddies that dipped. Anybody know, you know, anybody in here dip? Y'all want to, huh? Yeah, like tobacco. What'd you, shame on you. <laughs> Did you ask if I was skinny dipping? Is that what you said? No. No, no, no. No, it wasn't that. So I had never dipped, but I had friends who dipped uh, like skull and stuff. So I had a, I had a, a it was a guy that, and I was, uh, we were just goofing off one night and I, I wasn't a partier. I wasn't a wild, too wild and too wild in high school, but uh, I ran into this guy. And so we just, we were riding around a bit. Well, he had some, he had some skull bandits. Anybody remember the skull bandits? They were the little pouches. So you didn't just get the. I think, I think that's what it was, if I remember. I can't remember. I'm, you'll understand why I can't remember here in a minute. So anyway, I, I said, all right, I'll give that a try. And he said, well, you know, you don't, don't swallow that. And I said, I got that. I figured that out. I know that. So, you know, I'm riding around, spitting, riding around, spitting. and Never dipped before in my life. And, and, and so we're riding around for quite a while, and I'm riding around spitting, and next thing I know, I'm kind of... And I, and I said, dude, you got to pull over. And he did. It was a good thing he did because I hurled. I ralphed and barfed and all that stuff. So I said, man, you got to take me back to my car. So we go back to my car, and I'm like, I don't I, This is tobacco. How in the world? I'm like. So I drive home. I drive home, and I get home, and it's about 25 degrees. It's a, it's a fall or winter night in Georgia. And I remember I had my shorts on. That was all I had on. I went out on the back porch and laid there. I just laid there and I begged God, please help me. I'll never do it again. That's a promise I kept. That's a promise I kept. How we got there, I don't know. But what happens is we, we you know what? We live like we want to. We got a foot in both worlds and, and God's going to judge that. God's not going to bless when we're living and we're trying to do both. And that was what Balaam did. He enticed them with, hey, look, you know, you're God's chosen people. You, you, can, you can live like this, and he's not going to judge you guys. It'll be great. You can still serve God, and it'll all be wonderful. Folks, you need to question that. You need to question things in your life. That you, so for some reason, you've thought this is okay or that okay. You know what? It's not, it's not a big lie. It's not a big lie. And Brent, it's not really gossip because I really care about them. I want you to know what's going on and be able to pray for them. There are a lot of things we do that God's not pleased with. Okay. Then there's Jezebel. Jezebel. So if you read 1 Kings 16 through 2 Kings chapter 10, she was the heathen wife of King, of King Ahab. And uh, she was a woman who led Israel into Baal worship. She seduced Israel with her false teaching. Uh, a wicked, wicked woman. And uh, 
there is, I don't know if you've ever heard of the spirit of, of uh, Jezebel. Anybody ever heard of that? Of women, in, of women in church and stuff. There are women who have the spirit of Jezebel. And it's a very rebellious spirit. It's a, it's, so this is, um, in chapter 2, verse 20, we see this, this danger of Je- Jezebel. All right, 738. All right, we'll do this last part here, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. That'll give us a good stopping place. So what if Jesus were to write a letter to our church? You know, what do you, what do you think he would say? Whew, I don't know if I'd want to read it. I, I, I mean, really, because we... we uh, I would want to read it, but I would be, I'd be scared to read it because um, when you read these letters, and the, the Lord's not fooled, folks. If we think we're this, that, and the other, um, the Lord's not fooled by what First Baptist Geneva is. He's not fooled. I don't have him fooled at all. He knows my heart. He knows who I am. But what would he say? You know, what, what would, I would want to read that letter. I guess I would. Yeah, I'd be, I'd, okay. I wouldn't want to, but I'd want to. So, you know, you think about it. So the risen Christ himself dictated a message addressed to the strengths and weaknesses of First Baptist Geneva, prefaced by a description of some aspect of his own glory. And we'll see that every church he opens with a description of his own glory and containing important information for the immediate future of the church and concluded, and, and concluded by a, prom, a promised reward offered to those who heed his word. Um, so... You know, we'd want to read that. If he wrote a letter to us, because we'd want to know, wow, we thought we were doing well in that area. And we're not. We, we, this is an area we really need to work on. But he said, hey, you're doing good here, and you're doing good here. But this is what I have against you. And we'd go, man, this was great. But, Lord, I thought I didn't know that. And, but then he, he challenges us to repent. So what would we want to hear? What, what would we want to hear? We, you know, we'd want to hear what he had to say. So as we look at these individual letters to the seven churches, we'll see a regular pattern in each of the letters. So the first thing is that each letter is addressed to the angel of that particular church, whoever that is, whatever, whoever that messenger is. If it's an angel, uh, an angelic being, or if it's the pastor of the church. Second thing, Jesus announces that he, uh, what he has to say and describes himself in terms of the vision John had of Jesus, which he described in chapter 1. And again, it's just pieces of that description. In each of those letters, there's a part of that, that he says, this is who I am, this is who I am. And then the third thing, Jesus tells the church that he, he knows them, and he describes what he knows about them in particular. Sometimes this includes words of commendation. So in some of the letters, he, he, he says, look, you're doing, you've done well here. This is good, but... Um, Fourth, in most of the letters, Jesus says, but I have this against you. And then he tells the church where, they're, they're going, where they've gone wrong, where they've gone astray. Fifth, uh, having announced to the church what he has against them, he calls them to repentance. You know, the Lord doesn't reveal things to us just to, Glenn, I just want to make you feel bad. I, I just want to beat you up. I just want to, the Lord never does that. The Lord reveals these things to us because he loves us. And the whole purpose of it is that we repent. We turn away from the thing that we're not doing right, and we turn back to doing right. That's the whole purpose. And that was the purpose of the letters he wrote to those churches. So, um, number six, having called the church to repentance, Jesus threatens the church with the consequences that will follow if they do not repent. Seventh thing, the letters 
are concluded with a command for those with ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Eight, uh, the churches are motivated to heed the contents of the letter by the promises made to those who overcome, the true believers. There's promises made to them. So most of these elements are present in each letter, um, uh, though there is, there's some variation both in what is included and in the order of these elements. But we find these elements in each of the letters. Now, that brings us to now. We're going to start next week. We'll start right there, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And we'll begin with a look, a deep look into the church at Ephesus and see what God has to tell them. All right? So a couple minutes early, if you've got any questions or comments...